Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys. Who's excited to be in the house of the Lord today? Come on, make a little bit of noise. Excited to be here. First day of spring, I guess, right? It's so good to see you guys. We wanna let you know if you're a first time or first time in a long time, we are one church in three locations. That's right, we have three physical locations. And because of technology, we're able to broadcast this, you know, all over this region, especially at our Ashland and our Grayson campus. Come on, can we get for our Ashland, our Grayson campus right now? That's amazing. Man. So I wanna let you know if you have family or friends somewhere all the way from, you know, West Virginia all the way over here to, you know, Moorhead and in between, if you know anybody looking for a, a, a church family to get plugged into, we'd love to have you be part of one of our locations there in Ashland or in Grayson. Man, it's good to be with you guys again. If you have your Bibles, go to me to John chapter 19. We're in this series called Cross Seekers Love. Now, we've done a series called Cross Seekers Love for the last few uh, years leading up to Easter, but it's always a different context and a different uh, uh, messages a part of that. And so this time, we're doing something that I've been wanting to do for a real long time. I've never done it before before, and that's preached to the last seven statements of Jesus. And on the cross, Jesus had these statements that uh, are very prophetic. He fulfilled prophecy and a lot of things that he says. And today we get to look at one that's a little unique, that sometimes will make you think you're scratching your head like that has nothing to do with prophecy or, or why would it be there. And so we kicked off the first statement, if you remember, Jesus says, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Now he's talking to the people who are casting lots in front of the cross, and we'll get to that just in a moment, and those who handed him over to be crucified. He said, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. And I just wanna say this to you, if you're here today and you're struggling with receiving the forgiveness of God, like there's something in your life, you're like, I just don't know for sure if God can forgive me of that, or I just, you know, you don't know where I've come from, Pastor, I just don't know for sure if God would forgive me, I wanna encourage you, please go back and watch that. And then the second statement, if you remember, he's hanging between the, between the two criminals, and one's hurling insults, and the other one is saying, come into Jesus' sign and say, hey, come on, man, he's not done anything wrong, we deserve death. And he makes this statement, remember me when you go into your kingdom, and Jesus makes this statement. He says, today you will be with me in paradise. So he looks at a criminal who has no way to get off the cross, to make means right, to do anything, to go to the temple, to sacrifice an animal, to go make right was wrong, and Jesus says, today you will be with me on his deathbed, a criminal was saved. And so I made this statement last week, if you ever thought about what happens the moment you die, last I checked the statistics is one in one die, y'all know that, right, it's coming, right? And what happens when you die, immediately what takes place? Last week, I talked a little bit about that. So if you're intrigued by that, you always wonder, what happens at a moment you die? If you're a believer and if you're a non-believer, what happens at that moment? I wanna encourage you, please go back and check out last week's message. And so to continue with the context of the story, Jesus is betrayed, his disciples left him, he's handed over to Pilate to go to be trial, on trial, then off to Herod, then back to Pilate, and both of the officials found him not guilty. They found Jesus completely innocent just by claiming to be the king of the Jews. However, it's custom of this time that they would release one person back in society who might be in jail or prison or, or, or locked up, and, and they said, who do you want to release? And they started screaming, Brabus, which was a very wicked criminal, and they asked to release Brabus, Brabus, but to crucify Jesus. And so the same people who were screaming on Palm Sunday, Hosanna in the highest, are now the same one who was screaming, crucify, crucify, him. And so we pick up in John chapter 19. The first two statements were in Luke chapter 23, but today we're in John chapter 19, and I'll be using the New Living Translation if you want to follow with me on your phone or your, or your iPad or, or the app that you may be in. 
And so if you skip down with me to verse 18, we pick up to what's taking place. Jesus is led to Skull Mountain. This is the place called Golgotha. In Greek, it's called Calvary. I know you've heard hymns and you sung songs about Calvary. Jesus died on Calvary. This is where he went because the mountainside was shaped like a skull called Golgotha in Hebrew. And so in verse 18, we pick up with the story. There, this is the, the Roman soldiers. They nailed Jesus, they nailed him to the cross. Two others were crucified with him, one on either side, Jesus between them. So if you ever drive, and I know not to take this for granted, and you see three crosses on the hill, that's what the three crosses represents. Two criminals on the side, Jesus in the middle. Pilate posted, verse 19, a sign on the cross that read this. Typically, when you committed a crime and you were sentenced to death penalty for your crime, your crime hung over your head. So over your head was the reason why you were being crucified. And the sign read this, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Then the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek so that many people could read it. And then the leading priests who led Jesus, obviously, to be crucified, took them to Herod, to Herod and to Pilate. And then the leading priests objected to Pilate, change it from the king of the Jews to, and this is what, he said, I am the king of the Jews. So it's completely different. Jesus claimed to be king of the Jews, but the priests, they would not accept it. So they said, wait, wait, he's not the king of the Jews. He's not the king of us. He said he was the king of the Jews. They won the change. Verse 23, Pilate replied, no. What I've written, I have written. And when the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they divided his clothes among the four of them. They also took his robe, but it was seamless, woven into one piece from top to bottom. So rather than tearing it into four pieces, they said, let's throw dice for it. So they gambled for the clothes of Jesus. This fulfilled the scripture that was said, they divided my garments among themselves and they threw dice for my clothes. You see, even the Roman soldiers had no idea they were fulfilling prophecy about Jesus. Verse 25, standing near the cross were Jesus' mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple whom he loved, he said to her, now here's our third statement. This is a statement you would probably think, why is this in the text or why was this moment, why would Jesus make this statement? But it's next in line, so we're gonna walk through this together. He said, dear woman, here is your son. So he looks at his mother and he says, dear woman, here is your son, which is the apostle John, which we know is the one that Jesus loved. He loved all of them, that there was something unique and special about John. He said to his disciple John, here is your mother. And then from on, this disciple took her into his home. And the history tells us that John cared for the mother of Jesus up to her death where believers believe that she was Buried and she died in Ephesus, the city of Ephesus. And we know John goes on to live a very long life. He writes as God inspires him, the book of Revelation, around 90 some years old, which is a very long, long life for a man at this time in the first century. There's a few questions that I have about this specific text. And so if you're studying the Bible, maybe today is more of a Bible study than is so much as preaching a sermon to you. But some of the questions you would ask is where are the disciples? 
Remember, the disciple says, we will die for you, Jesus. We will go to the grave for you, Jesus. Even Judas, who eventually betrays Jesus, says, let's go and die with him when they went back to resurrect Lazarus from the dead. Peter said, I have a sword. I cut off a guy's ear. I will fight for you. I will die for you. Where are all the disciples? Because if you now know that you've been associated with Jesus, most likely you could receive the death penalty as well. Second question I would ask, where are Jesus' half-brothers? Jesus has tons of brothers and sisters, but they're nowhere to be found. His mother's at the cross. The apostle John is at the cross, which was willing to die for Jesus because no one associated with Jesus would be standing at the cross because they would have caught them with Jesus as someone trying to bring up a riot, as they said, to overthrow the Roman government. Where's his half-brothers? Do you all know Jesus had tons of half-brothers and sisters? Where are they? They are not standing here, but only his mother and a few of the women and the apostle John, and the apostle John is the one who wrote the book of John, the one who God inspired to write, so we have his writing, that he's writing about the story. So this is an eyewitness. John was there, and what we're reading today is what John said happened when this moment came when Jesus died on the cross. You know, the first place that we meet Mary Jesus' mom in the Gospel of John is at a wedding. If you remember, the wedding ran out of wine and she went to Jesus and she said, Jesus, it's time for you to step up and be who God has called you to be. And Jesus looks at her and says, woman, it is not my time. If you remember that, and Jesus, then Mary looks at the, the, the people standing there and said, just do whatever he tells you to do. And now she, we find her in the beginning here at a wedding, and now she's preparing for a burial for her own son. The hour finally had come for Jesus. She was experiencing the sword that pierced her heart that was prophesied about her when she went to the temple in Luke chapter two. In fact, this is what the Bible says when she went to the temple, then Simeon blessed her and said, Mary, to the baby's mother, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many's hearts will be revealed. And then listen what he says to her. A sword will pierce your very soul. There's nothing more heart-wrenching to a mother than to watch her child suffer and knowing she can't do nothing about it. There is nothing she could do to take away the pain. And then finally, we see exactly what the prophets had prophesied being fulfilled in her heart as her heart was pierced and suffering. But you know what was so significant about this? As you just read the text and you just think about it as you're studying your Bible, is that her silence was so significant. If anyone had any chance to ever save Jesus, and we know Jesus says, I could call down legions upon legions of angels and destroy the earth and just the spoken word, but he chose not to. But if anyone could have stood up and to have tried their best to save Jesus, could have been his mother. Why? Because this is a chance for to say, everything he said was false. What he claimed to be God's son is wrong. He's actually my son and Joseph's son. He, she could have stopped there and she could have said, everything he said was false, but her silence speaks loudly about his deity. You see, Jesus was not only her son, Jesus was her savior. And she knew that. And she knew that this was his hour, that this was his time to come. That he would save not only her from her sin, but he would save the world from their sin. So the statement said, dear woman, here is your son. And to John, here is 
your mother. Few observations I wanna point out this and then some what can we do about this text. Here's, here's an observation. Jesus was willing to care for his mother even in the midst of his pain and her pain. That Jesus was willing to care for his mother in her time of need. You see, most of the other statements were fulfilled in prophecy that was prophesied, but this one wasn't prophesied. Jesus wasn't fulfilling prophecy when he made this statement, but he was fulfilling the law. The law in Exodus says that you're to honor your mother and your father. And if you do that, you will live a long life. It will go well with you. And we see Jesus even on his death sentence, on his deathbed, fulfilling the law by honoring his mother, going past his pain to minister to her and to her pain. Typically, the oldest son, when the father passed away, would take care of the family. They would provide. They would be the breadwinner for the family. They would provide for the family. And, some, and we know that, well, at least for scholars believe that somewhere from the age of 12, which is the last time we see Mary and Joseph going to the temple with Jesus, to Jesus begins his ministry at age 30. So somewhere between the age of 12 and age 30, historians and scholars believe that Joseph has now passed away. Mary is a widow. And so here's Jesus being the oldest son, is providing for his mom, providing for his his widow, as a widow, and trying to take care of her. He knew that Paul would pin these words in First Timothy someday. It says to take care of a widow who has in need when no one else is there to take care of them. He knew that because he's the author of Scripture. And so Jesus is fulfilling this, this plan of honoring his mother by saying, here, someone will provide for you. Someone will take care of you. But Jesus has another plan. Here's a few questions I always ask. Why John? Why did not Jesus hand over his mother to his half-brothers? Because it always falls to the next of kin. See, some people, and I don't know if you ever recognize this, because we today, a lot of people come, and I myself come from a blended family. Do you know that Jesus had a stepdad? His name was Joseph. Joseph wasn't his father. God was. He was his earthly father, but he was his stepdad. He had half-brothers and sisters. It wasn't fully blood related. He had half brothers and sisters. So a lot of times people come from blended family and, it's, and the blended family has its complexities. We know that. You know that if you're part of one. But Jesus relates to you. He knows what it's like to come from a blended family. In fact, the scripture, John writes in John chapter seven, five, that none of his brothers believed that he was the Messiah. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're sitting there with your halo on. You're thinking, well, no, if Jesus was my brother, then obviously I would believe in him, right? Listen, go home and try to convince your brother that you're the Messiah. Go try to convince your siblings that you're the king. So it's, it's, it's not as easy what you thought. So many people say, well, if I was there and I saw the miracles, I would believe. Thousands of people didn't. They missed it. Why did not Jesus hand over to his half-brothers? Because John tells us they didn't even believe in what Jesus was ushering at the foot of the cross was unbelievably amazing. He's issuing a new covenant, a new family, a new, a new way of living. So instead of handing him them off to the next in kin, he hands her off to the apostle John and then the apostle John off to his mother. In fact, the statement, dear woman, here is your son, here is your mother, is adoption words. Mary, adopt John. John, adopt Mary. You're now our family. You are a spiritual, spiritual family. And here's something else fascinating as you read through the text. Nowhere in the scriptures does Jesus ever call Mary mother. Now we know that's his mother, but he never addresses her as mother. He always dresses her as woman. Now before you get the claws out, he's not being disrespected to his mom. In fact, 
in the society to call someone a woman is very polite because it's what today you would call someone ma'am. Yes, ma'am. It's very polite. Listen to me, children, when you respond back to your mother and you say, yes, ma'am, we've lost that in our society today. Children don't respect parents. Children don't respect authority. Children are raised up, and there is no yes, ma'am, or yes, sir. There's no more, and I'm just old school, man. I just, when it comes to the flag, I take my hat off and put my hand on my heart. There's no respect for our country. There's no respect for we're raising up a people, a lovers of self, and that should not shock us because the world tells us that men and women will be lovers of themselves and disrespect authority when it comes to the end times, and folks, it's coming. And so when, we, when he said woman, what he is saying is says, dear ma'am, he's, it's a respect term. Yes, ma'am, or yes, sir, it's the same. So he's not disrespecting his mother. We know that because Jesus was sinless. So we know he, he's not disrespectful. For him to say that is to say, ma'am, this is gonna be your new son. Son, guess what? This is gonna be your new mom. And I know she's not your birth mom. You actually have your birth mom with you. It's not your birth mom. But I'm issuing a new family. I'm doing something new. I'm doing something different. And you don't see it yet. So why did he pick John? Why did he pick John? Because it says when he saw his mother standing there beside, watch this, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, I always got a kick out of this. I always got a kick out of this. So when you read through the book of John, John is writing it. And he's writing it in a way that you don't know it's him. He describes himself right here. He says, the one that Jesus loved. Could you imagine that? Ain't no bragging rights, but I'm the one that Jesus loved. Could you imagine that? I love it because when they race to the tomb at the end here, Peter and John runs, and he wants you to know that the one outran Peter, which was himself. He was very modest, but he wanted you to know he was faster. Ain't that funny? I think that's funny, y'all. Like, he wants you I am faster than Peter. So he lets us know that. And he writes, I'm the one that Jesus loved. And he's very true. Jesus loved, loved, loved John and his family. And so that could be one of the reasons Jesus loved. Here's another observation. He's the only one standing at the cross. Out of all the disciples, he's the only one willing to risk, risk his life to stand at the foot of the cross to watch Jesus be crucified. And so this is very spectacular. Another observation as you read through the text as well. Jesus could have told John the night before this at the Passover feast when he did communion. Because the Bible tells us, John writes, that Jesus, that John, he leaned back on Jesus' breast and Jesus leaned, he leaned back on him as he was talking with him. Jesus could have said, hey bro, listen, here's what's gonna happen. I told you, yeah, I've already predicted this. I'm gonna die, I'm gonna be crucified. But three days later, I'm gonna get up out of the grave. Jesus told him that over and over. They did not understand it, they didn't get it. He said, but here's what's gonna happen. I'm gonna send to the Father, so I want you to do something for me. Yeah, Jesus, whatever you want, I'll do it. I got you back, just tell me. Listen, I want you to take care of my mother. I want you to go home and I want you to take care of Mary and she's gonna come into your house and she's gonna live with you for the rest of her life. I want you to take care of her, okay? Because tomorrow's gonna be brutal. Tomorrow her heart's really gonna get pierced. She's gonna see her son be crucified. So here's what I want you to do. Make sure you take her, take care of her, and provide for her. Why did not Jesus tell John the night before? Because I believe that when Jesus makes a statement because he doesn't do anything by happenstance, it's always intentional. He wanted this to be on a platform that's so large that people could hear it, that he could see it, and 2,000 years later, we could sit here and read it. He's doing something at this moment that's so unique, that's so outstanding, that so many times we just miss it when we read past the text. You see, Jesus is not only willing to take care of his mother's need, but Jesus is willing to take care of your needs as well. We all have needs, every one of you have needs. And Jesus is willing to take care of your needs 
as well. In Luke chapter eight, Jesus is performing miracles, preaching and doing what he's doing, and his mother comes and his brothers come looking for him. Jesus is in the house and all of a sudden they come and they knock on the door and they're looking for Jesus and someone comes to Jesus, they say, yo, Jesus, your mom and your brothers are out here and they wanna speak with you. So it's a, it's a request, right? You can't get to your son, you wanna speak to your brother, you wanna speak to your son and Jesus makes this unbelievable statement. He says in Luke 8, verse 21, he says, who is my mother, who's my brothers? Now you would think for a moment he's being disrespectful he says, my mother and my brothers are those who hear God's word and obeys it. They didn't understand that. What is he trying to say? There's gonna come a time that the family of God, that my mom, my brother, my sister, my aunts, my uncles are not, it's gonna go transcend past blood relation, but anyone who hears and applies and does the word of God is my mother, is my brother, is my sister, is my family. Jesus is ushering a new family here at the foot of the cross, and it's so easy to read right past it and miss it. So there's a couple things I wanna point out here is this, that Jesus will care for your needs. Jesus will meet your needs. If he could provide at, the, at his mother's need at the most weakest, humiliating time in his life, how much more can he now in his position of power? We know that according to the Ephesians chapter one that Jesus ascended, he sits at the right hand of God. In fact, Paul writes this in Philippians 4.19, listen to what he says. The same God who takes care of me, Paul says, the one who's provided for me, and supply all my needs, watch this, will supply all your needs with the glorious riches that he had been given to us in Christ Jesus. How many riches does Jesus have sitting on the throne? What at his disposal? You don't think when you need something he can be there for you? And so what we're seeing is Jesus said, I'm not even, I'm caring for my family. Who is his family? Those who hear and believe in me and do the word of God becomes my family. Paul writes in Romans 10, he says, all Jews and Gentiles, the same respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all. Where and else in the world? Yes, there's a special place for Israel. God has a plan for Israel. Isn't it amazing? A little tiny nation the size of New Hampshire that the whole world's going crazy about. And we'll talk more about that. Because there will come a day that Russia will invade Israel. It is coming. It will happen. These are the signs. I can't wait, man. I'm gonna start preaching on it right now. Talk about the signs of all this. It's right in front of, I never thought in my lifetime that I would actually see what we're seeing right now. And as Christians, as followers of Jesus, one, we don't have to be scared, but two, we should long and be doing everything we can to save as many people as we can. Now listen, you and I can't save them. I can't save no one. I can't even save myself. But we need to get them to a place to start hearing about Jesus, knowing Jesus, and following Jesus because that hour is coming faster than you can imagine. Faster than you can ever imagine. Sorry, that was, that was the coffee. Okay, come back to the text. Go back to the text here. He will meet your needs. He will meet our needs from all the riches. And so what we see happening here at the cross is Jesus will care for your needs. We see this with Mary and John, but watch this. He is creating an organization, a body, a living organism called the church family. Watch this, to care for each other's needs as well. 
At the cross, we know this. He's issuing a new covenant with his blood. He told them the night before. We have a new family where Jews and Gentiles now are one. Yes, again, going back, there's a special place that God has for Israel, and there's a special part that Israel play. But when it comes to the family of God, it doesn't matter if you're Jew, Gentile, Greek, it doesn't matter. We all get in the same way through Jesus Christ and Jesus alone. He said, I'm creating a family right here at the foot of the cross. And guess what? Woman, here's your son. Son, here is your mom. And now you're going to have the spiritual family that's going to be birthed when the church is going to be birthed. And we know that eventually Jesus' brothers believe because we find in Acts chapter 1, that in Acts 2, that they're in the upper room waiting. Jesus' mom and his brothers are now waiting for the Spirit to come to usher in and birth of the church. So we know that they eventually, they give their life and follow after him. I love this statement in John chapter 1, verse 12. John writes, but to all who believed in him, and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. Now, I talked about this last week, that universalists, they believe that everyone's going to heaven. At least almost everyone, there's a few people who are not going to go. But almost everyone goes to heaven. They're universalists. They believe in this. And here's what they'll make statements like this. Hey, we're all God's children. And I'm here to say this. We are not all God's children. We are all God's creation. To become his child, it says you have to believe in him and accept him, and then he gives you the right to become his child. You see, we were once foreigners, and now we're citizens. We were once lost, and now we are found. We were once enemy of God, and now we become the family of God. So there's a big difference, and we see that Jesus is ushering this in right here at the foot of the cross, the family of God, where he dies for your sins and my sins, and whoever will believe and put their faith and trust in him will become family. Now, now, all family don't get along. Y'all know that, right? Oh, your family's perfect, huh? Like, y'all got a perfect family, right? And we'll see around Thanksgiving and Christmas how perfect your family is. But anyway, right? It's not that we're perfect. Is there a perfect church? There's no such thing as a perfect church. If you're trying to find a perfect church, you better just attend church by yourself and you'll get frustrated with that church because you'll find out you're not perfect. There's no such thing as perfectionism. We're a family. It's life. We grow through this. We're trying to figure this out. A bunch of sinful people saved by grace trying to figure out how to move forward and reach the communities with the gospel. That's why here at Bear Life Church, we major on the major things. Jesus is the only way. He's not even a way. He's not even the best way. He's the only way. And we're going to lift Jesus up so high that he's going to draw men and women where you're Pentecostal, Methodist, Baptist. It doesn't matter. He's going to draw you to himself because we have one mission that's to make disciples and save a lost and dying world. We're going to focus on that. Not colors of what? Uh, blind should be, not if we should have guitars on stage, not what Bible translation someone preaches out of. I'm having a, t- a rant right now. But we're going to preach Jesus and reach people for Jesus and focus on Jesus because that's all that matters is Jesus. Okay. And as part of the family, look right here, Paul writes in Galatians 2. This is so beautiful. And I, I want this to be for our family, our local bodies so much in Ashland and then Grayson, and here in Moorhead, is this, to share, Galatians 6, 2, to share each other's troubles and problems, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. Mary, you're gonna adopt John, he's got problems, and he has struggles. John, bringing in Mary, you're gonna have problems with your wife. (laughs) You got some problems, it's gonna be struggles. We all have problems, but watch this. We're a family and we're to share our each other's burdens and carry each other's burdens and this fulfills the law of Christ. Now, what's the law of Christ? 
Again, I told you today's more kind of a Bible study. What is the law of Christ? How do you fulfill the law of Christ? Well, I would lean fulfilling the law of Christ and suggest to you is that it's when we as the body of believers fulfill the one another's in the scriptures. And there are tons of one another's. Let me give you some example. One is to love one another. To love one another. And listen, the enemy is trying to divide the church of God so much right now. He's bringing so much division and so much, uh, so much problems and trying to divide the world and divide the church and, and do everything he can. Why? And it's, you got Christians you know, hating on Christians and, and Christians bashing other Christians and, and people's talking about, hey, you this and that and you stand here and you drew a line there and you wear a mask and I don't wear a mask and hey, you know, you believe this about the war and I believe this about the war and, and everybody who comes, you know, an expert in viruses over the last two years and divided the church. I mean, it's just crazy. He's going everything he can and to divide the church. And we should be showing this love for one another. Jesus says this, here's how the world will know that I am real, is that when my children are unified. Listen, the devil's not afraid of a big church. He's afraid of a united church. And when a church is united on the same thing, focus on Jesus, reaching people for Jesus, making disciples for Jesus, planting churches that reproduce churches that reproduce churches for Jesus, when he all mission for Jesus, when, you, when the enemy sees that, man, he's going, he's going to release all hell that he can on earth to bring division. And the body is here to care for one another, to love one another. Watch this, to encourage one another. When's the last time you encouraged someone? Like you encourage the family of God. That you speak it to them or to a person. To encourage one another, to comfort one another. All of us have brokenness and all of us have needs and all of us have heartaches, every one of us. Who's there to comfort you? See, the church is a place where you come broken, where you come in and you can let your guard down. And you say, man, I'm hurting, I need help. I have an addiction, I have a struggle. My marriage is not going as good as it can. I need some help with this. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm living paycheck to paycheck and I know this now that like God wants me to live. How do I win with my money? People are here to help you do whatever problem you have. That's what the family's for. And so you don't have to come here and put your church face on and just hide it all the time, put a smile on, knowing that you're broken inside. This is a place where you can say, God, I need to be healed and send people to help me and heal me. That's what the family does. That's what we're supposed to be part of is to comfort one another, to serve one another. That we would serve each other. That we would pray for each other. Listen, commercial break. Next Sunday night, we're having a prayer and a night of worship. You, you, if you can be here, you don't wanna miss it. It's, it's one location. It's right here at a Moorhead location. So Ashland and Grayson, I'm invite you to come. I know it's a drive for you, but I believe it's gonna be a breakthrough. I believe you're gonna experience God like you've never experienced before. We're gonna worship and we're gonna get before God and we're gonna pray that God begins to heal, that God begins to break forth, that God begins to open the eyes of the lostness in our region as we go into Easter. And so if you want to have a big old worship prayer service, man, you want to be here next Sunday. People say, are we going to have church on Sunday night? Yep, next Sunday. People ask me all the time, do y'all ever have revival there at Better Life Church? I say, absolutely. They said, when is it? I said, every Sunday we have revival. People getting saved every single Sunday. Lives are being changed every Sunday. We don't have to schedule it in October or spring for God to move. He is moving in our midst. And so if you could be here, I would encourage you to come. We're going to have a great time where we can watch this. Pray together and pray for one another. So I wanna encourage you to begin to fulfill the law of Christ by practicing the one another. And watch this, to practice the one another's, the majority of them, you gotta be together. You gotta be together. 
And I'm so thankful that for our, our local fellowships in Ashland and Grayson and here more, I'm so thankful that we're able to gather. And listen, and I'm so thankful because of technology. And for some of you, you can't. And I'm so thankful that you're, some of you right now, you're watching online because you work on Sundays, because you're traveling right now, because you're shut in and you're sick. Listen, I am so thankful, but I want you to hear, I'm gonna speak to the online audience real quick. Online is only a supplement with your walk with Jesus. It should never take the place of the local church, the local pastor, and the shepherding that you do and the shepherding that happens to you. It should never take the place of that. It's a supplement, and we're so thankful. They help you as you walk. But to fulfill the one another's, that God wants us to fulfill, it takes us people together. And so here's some application there. Here's some things, here's your next steps. You wanna know what your next steps is out of this? Here's your next step. One, I beg you, with everything within me, give your life to Jesus before it's too late. To give your life to Jesus. Like surrender to him right now. He is the Messiah, he is the Lord. The text shows that over 500 plus witnesses after Jesus gets up out of the grave. If you have 500 witnesses to something, that's pretty, pretty good. I beg you to give your life to Jesus today. Here's the second thing, join the family. When I say join, be part of the family of God where you can be active in the family and that you can serve the family, that you can bless the family. And I'm here to tell you, I'm here to tell you, your spiritual family will outlast your physical family. Unless your physical family knows Jesus, then they will spend eternity with you. And so the spiritual family matters. We see this. We see this even at the foot of the cross when Jesus makes the statement, woman, here's your son. Son, here's your mother. I'm ushering this spiritual family and it's beginning now. Be part of the family. Don't forsake the family. Let's be a family. Yes, we're not perfect. Absolutely, no. But we're gonna work through this together. And what's the family's role? That everyone has a unique position and gift in the body, in the body, the family. Would you would use how God's wired you. Watch this. Watch this. To reach a lost and dying world. I wanna encourage you to be part of the family. And then my last next step for you is that you will find a group, a life group, either you can get in or that you can start. We'll have people here who will train you. They will train you. They will help you. I mean, we got one of the best ones. I know he, he's, I don't know if he's here this morning, but Matt Mofield, he's the director of the BCM. He's an unbelievable follower of Jesus, loves discipleship. He's, he's coming to help us train leaders. Jordan, he's here to help train leaders. Watch this, to open up the Bible, to study the Bible, and then be able to help people learn about the Bible. Listen, especially in the last days. We should not forsake the assembly, the Bible says. It's the end time quote there that you will find. On, on Monday nights here at the Moorhead campus, we open up our facilities. If you wanna find a group, there's some groups that are meeting. Come and try to jump in one. Find one. You don't wanna open up your home. We open up the facility right here on Monday night. Say, hey, come on, me and you, we're gonna go. We're gonna go to hang out. And we're gonna open up our Bibles. We're gonna talk about what God's doing in our life. Jump in a group. If you don't have time, find one you can lead one. You can host one. There's so many opportunities for you to do that. I wanna close with this story. It's a familiar story if you've been around church before. And if not, I'll just really quickly explain it to you. The Bible tells a story about this rich young ruler. He has everything. You name it, he has all the resources in the world. And the Jews believe that if you were wealthy in the first century, that you were guaranteed heaven. 
that you've done something right, therefore God blessed you in an unbelievable way and heaven was, and eternal life was yours automatically. But the scriptures tells us that the rich man lacks something. So he goes up to Jesus and he says, good teacher, what must I do to be saved? Jesus says, you know what, obey the law. He said, I've done that. I've done everything, I've obeyed my parents, I've done everything you said, I've not said a bad word, I've not wronged anybody, I've done everything that I know to be right, but I'm still missing something. He knew even trying to do good, his heart still misses something. Well see, he didn't realize that he broke the first commandment, was that you should have no other gods before the Lord your God. And anything that you put before the Lord your God is idolatry. And his wealth has become his God, it had become his idolatry, he couldn't even see it in his heart. So Jesus says, if you really want to be perfect, if you really want to do this, here's what I want you to do. Go sell everything you have and come and follow me. Now, I wanted to make this clear here. He's not saying rich people can't go to heaven. That's absolutely wrong. He's not saying that we, as Christians, we should live in poverty and we should sell everything and live poor our whole life. That is not. That is a specific instruction and command to a specific person who had an idol in his life, which was his wealth, and he wanted to know how to have peace with God. And he would never have peace because he worshiped his wealth. So Jesus says, let's get rid of the idol and then you'll have peace. And the Bible says the rich young ruler went away sad as can be because he had so much great wealth that he wasn't willing to get rid of his little G-God to follow after the big G-God. And so the disciples sitting there going, dear Lord, they're scratching their head. You read the stories in Matthew chapter 19 or in Mark 10 too, either one you wanna go. And they looked at Jesus, they said, wait a second. If the rich man can't get into heaven, how in the world are we gonna make it? How in the world are we ever gonna have peace with God when we've left everything to follow you? And Peter says, we have left every single thing. I have a family business in fishing, a very lucrative career, and I left it all to follow you. Remember Matthew, he was a tax collector. He was making money out the wazoo, and guess what, he walked away from his position to follow you. So if we're living in poverty, how in the world do we ever have a chance? And then Jesus makes this incredible, incredible statement. He says in Mark 10, verse 29, Jesus says, I say to you, there is no one who hath left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms. Hey, watch this. If you have forsaken it all for my sake and for the gospel's sake, if you've done that, then listen to what it says. But he will receive a hundred times more, don't miss this, in this present age. He didn't say that when you get to heaven. He said in this day, in this time, in this present age. Watch this. In this present age, you'll receive a hundred times houses, Brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and farms. Oh, by the way, you notice he didn't say father in that verse because he switched from a physical family to a spiritual family. We only have one heavenly father. And he doesn't say father in the next verse. He says, watch this, along with persecution, and persecution is coming to the church. In the age to come, watch this, and in the age to come, eternal life. Now, listen to what he says, listen to what he says. When you forsake everything to follow me, Remember, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Every when you deny everything and follow me, and whenever you've sacrificed for my sake, I will watch this, bless you back 
with a hundredfold, a hundredfold mothers, a hundredfold brothers, a hundredfold sisters. How in the world can we have that? When I read that, the Holy Spirit showed this observation to me. He says, you know what a hundred mothers look like? A hundred brothers, a hundred sisters, a hundred houses. And I said, what? The family of God. When you forsake it all, you come into a spiritual family where you have mothers and sisters. Some of you don't have mothers, but you got spiritual mothers in here who care for you. And some of you need to become spiritual mothers and be caring for the next generation of mothers. Some guys in here don't have spiritual fathers in their life. And you need to step up, men, and be fathers of people in the church. And that's what the body of Christ is to look like. Listen to me, woman, here is your son. Son, here is your mother. Where do we get this hundredfold? In the family of God. And that is a blessing he's given to every single one of us. So watch this. We should not forsake the blessing. You are a blessing. We are a blessing to be able to be a family, a spiritual family. I don't know about you, but that fires me up. And so here's what I want you to know today. You're not alone. You have a family. Jesus will meet your needs. And watch this. He's supporting the family to meet each other's needs. I'm gonna ask people to bow your head. All three of our locations, Moorhead, Grayson, Ashland, listen. I love you guys. It's an honor to be your pastor. Thank you for allowing me to speak into your life by opening up God's word and letting the Holy Spirit move in all of us. Because I'm preaching to myself almost every Sunday. And what I've been going through and it's overflowing, just preaching it. So we as a family will grow together. But I beg you today to give your life to Jesus. Saying a prayer will not save you, but your lips can proclaim what your heart declares. And right where you sit, whether any of our campuses are online, you could do that right now. Just cry out to Jesus to help believe that you died on that cross for me. That I deserve to die, but you died in my place. And I ask you to forgive me of all my sin. Now help me follow you all the days of my life. Listen, if that's you, just in a moment, a host or your campus pastor is gonna come out and they're gonna share with you what your next steps are. Now let me speak to the family, come on family. Let's not forsake each other. Let's serve one another. Let's encourage one another. Let's pray for one another. Let's be the church that God's called us to be. Let's get in community. We'll figure what that looks like. Life's messy. I understand that. People are messy. I get that. Ministry's messy. I'm 100% agree with that. But that's not an excuse not to be the family that God has called us to be. And I want to encourage you, listen, to the rest of this series leading up to Easter. Every Sunday is going to be a life-changing message where somebody can hear the gospel and respond. And as the family, let's go do everything we can to bring people in so they can hear the life-changing message where they can give their life to Jesus before it's too late. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the opportunity just to open it. Holy Spirit, that you just open our eyes to see the truths of how much you love us. I pray, Father, you'll protect our hearts because the enemy is gonna do everything he can to snatch the seed that's been planted. And God, we will leave here today knowing that we're part of a family, what it looks like to be the family, to make no excuses to serve the family, and that we could be the people that you've called us to be 
that makes disciples, that makes disciples, that plant churches, that plant churches, that sees an entire region, state, world change before you return. And God, may it start right here with us. For your name I ask and I pray. Amen.